everyone, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. I had such a great day yesterday filling up my creative tank. My husband and I went to the Van Gogh Interactive Museum. Have you been to that in Toronto? I think it's touring as well in different cities. I mean, the exhibit itself, beautiful, breathtaking. There's moments of creativity within that exhibit that I didn't see coming and how beautiful to be immersed in the work of Van Gogh. If you haven't been already, what they do is they do sort of a digital dance almost, like an artistic dance on all the walls around you in this studio. So you're surrounded by Van Gogh. And then they creatively move through his various pieces with music and I mean, I loved it for sure. But there's also something so beautiful about sharing art with other people. You can see people just sort of taking it in, closing their eyes and listening to the music for a while you know, experiencing Van Gogh in like upfront detail. It was really great. So that filled my creative tank. I don't know about you, but sometimes you can feel like you need an injection of creativity somehow. And it doesn't always help to do the Netflix thing or binge, sometimes it does, like that's inspired for sure. I'm, gosh, I'm watching some amazing TV right now. I just watched Afterlife, the Ricky Gervais show, and that to me, was so inspiring. There's parts of that show that make me weep. Honestly, I can't watch two episodes in a row because it's tough to watch emotionally, but then it's Ricky Gervais. So there's parts that just make me unabashedly laugh and cringe. It's Ricky Gervais, who's kidding who? There's some cringy stuff in there. So if you're needing your creative tank filled, I like the idea of going somewhere because then it gets you out of your routine. And I know this for sure, that if you're stuck, if you're feeling in a rut, shake it up. Shake your routine up, get out of your space, go hang out in the library, go hang out in a coffee shop, go to a friend's house. If you can go away, go away for a couple of days. All those things, just shake it up, change the air, and uh, that really helps a lot. So what are your ways of filling your creative tank? I would love to hear about it. Hashtag firecracker creative tank. Let me know what you're doing. We've got our artist's way group right now going with firecracker department, which we do every year. And so there's a lot of folks that do artist's dates, which is really cool to find out. And we do artist's dates all the time. You can go for a walk to the bus station and that can be an artist's date if you sort of lift your head up and look for art all around you, which I started doing when the pandemic started. I started a series called My Walk Today and it was just that. I take the dog for a walk, take a picture of that. Take a picture of that and suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, the world is so full of art. If you take a picture of something ordinary, it can actually become extraordinary. So give me a note, hashtag firecracker creative tank. Let me know what you do to fill up your creative tank. I'd love to hear about it. And now a little message from one of the co-heads of the writing department, the one and only Liesl Lafferty. Hello, it's Liesl here. I'm the co-head of the firecracker writing department. You can always check out our website for the cool things we have going on, like weekly writing bursts, and tomorrow the Save the Cat book club starts. But my big news today is the script writing workshops, starting on Sunday, April 10th. Bring your project, a script of any kind, for an 11-week period. You get five turns to share your pages, we read them aloud, and then give peer feedback on anything and everything from formatting to story structure. The number one most powerful attribute of these workshops is accountability. Yep, deadlines. Writers really respond well to our workshops. We love them. The second most powerful thing is community. We always have fun. So dust off those pages, pull out that old draft from the drawer, stare down that blank screen and join us. Apply by Sunday, April 3rd, and we start on Sunday, April 10th. The link to apply is on the website and in the show notes. Feature films, TV shows, plays, web series, we do it all.
Thanks, Liesl. I love Liesl and I love the writing department and I love seeing all the writers that are being nudged and nurtured through the writing department. For more information about the writing department or anything else to do with the Firecracker department, go to firecrackerdepartment.com. Okay, now our guest this week is Los Angeles-based, international award-winning actor and filmmaker, Ugham Darshi. Now, Ugham has this, I mean, you're gonna find out when you listen to this chat, she has this beautiful magical energy that permeates through Zoom. It does, it really does. And I mean, you know, talk about filling your creative tank. This discussion filled my creative tank. It's just like this great thing when two artists sit down and we share how we create. It's not something that we talk a lot about, but this discussion with Agam really, really jazzed me and not only made me a lifetime fan of Agam's, I'm here for it all. I'm here for all the creative things that she does, whether it's as an actor, director, writer, whatever. I think she's incredible. And you may recognize Agam from her role as Radha in Oscar-nominated director Deepa Mehta's film Funny Boy. And for Radha, she was nominated for a Canadian Screen Award for performance by an actress in a supporting role and she got some British Columbia love by winning a Leo Award for Best Supporting Performance by a Female in a Motion Picture. And here, want some good news? Why not? Who doesn't want good news? Throughout this spring, 2022, Uggum will be in Emmy Award winning Ava DuVernay's HBO Max pilot episode of DMZ. Yes, she is playing the role of Mia Franken and I cannot wait to see it. Oh my gosh. And we talk about her experience working with Ava DuVernay and get into all of that. So stay tuned for more on that project. Now, okay, Donkey Head is Agam's directorial debut and she also wrote the film. Incredible, right? It's about Mona, a failed writer who carves out a life of isolation while caring for her ailing traditional Sikh father. And when he has a debilitating stroke, her three successful, I might add, siblings show up on her doorstep to take control of the situation. Donkey Head is executive produced by Deepa Mehta and Kim Coates. Donkey Head's world premiere was the opening gala of the 2021 Mosaic International South Asian Film Festival at the Tiff Bell Lightbox in Toronto, where, by the way, oh my gosh, it won Best Feature Film. So everything's coming up Ugham, that's what I feel. I had a chance to watch Donkey Head and I mean, it really struck a bunch of chords with me. It struck the chord of, you know, having an ailing parent. I've been there. And also the debate and conflict that we all have with our siblings. That's something that is so relatable. So watching this film just struck a bunch of chords. I was like a harp, well, like an emotional creative heart with every string being plucked throughout this movie. And the acting's just so incredible. I mean, Agam is, is just so entirely watchable, but also so beautifully flawed and relatable. You'll watch it, you'll write to me, you'll say, I get it. Okay, and one more thing I have to tell you about Agam, because, you know, it's not enough that she's also the mother of twins, but she is one of the co-founders of the Vancouver International South Asian Film Festival. So, you know, Agam can just do anything. There, that's what the takeaway is here. Currently, this festival is in its 10th year, and it focuses on bridging the gap between South Asian talent and mainstream audiences by breaking stereotypes and expanding North American views on South Asian culture. And I have to tell you, Donkey Head is such a great representation of breaking stereotypes and seeing families that we don't normally see on screen. It was everything, all of it, and I'm here for it all. All right, let's get to it. Here's my chat with Agam Darshi. Hello. How's it going? Oh my gosh. I am so, I put on lipstick. That's how excited <laughs> I am. <to> meet you. <laughs> I mean, 
I love it. I'm just so happy to meet you. And I'm so excited to speak with you. This is me too. Me too. I'm, I'm really thrilled about this. I don't even know where to start. I want to start actually, because I was doing research, two names, Michael Northey Mm -hmm. and David Milchard. Yes. So those are many people. Yeah. So I, cause I used to live in Vancouver for five years. Oh, okay. So you know them. Did you do like improv with them? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, with David Milchard, I did. And then he was at second city with me here in Toronto when he was living here. Oh, and then Northy and I did a bunch of his shows that he wrote when he was doing a lot of theater writing. So uh, Northy and I have written a pilot together. No, yeah, and David and I have worked like on and off a bunch. He's like, they're so funny, they're so like funny. that kind of funny. You're probably the same way, like that kind of funny. I'm always a bit in awe. Northy, so he wrote a play. I mean, this is a hundred years ago. This is even before maybe you started in the business like you're you've been in, in the in Vancouver 20 years back and forth to yeah. Los Angeles yeah yeah so and this is like I mean I don't even know how long ago but it was I think it was called Stuck and it was me nor the anyway so um Honey, what yeah. a small world good memory so, so what's your pilot what's the premise it's called Born and Bred it's about the South Asian gangs in the lower mainland he yeah. actually knows a ton about it of course he um, does because he's from surrey yeah and so we wrote it together and he's like an encyclopedia and i know yes. obviously about the south asian part of things so it was a really nice partnership he's so good at dialogue i remember reading. yeah and like, he's like he has no ego like it's just you work with him and he's like yeah change whatever you want you know and and he's fast and yeah he's great yeah and then this morning i finished watching donkey head Oh. And uh, it's so personal for me because my father just died of like cancer. So, and then there's been friction in my family around the estate and things like that. So watching the siblings, I was like, oh, like I love when the universe puts things in front of me to learn from them. So I felt like it was like, here, learn from this movie. How is that seeing? Because it's partly your life. It can't not, you can't do an honest performance like that without revealing yourself. How is that for you to watch it afterwards? It's been a journey, I guess. Um, it was hard to watch. I, and I wasn't expecting it to be so hard to watch as yeah. I was editing it. And then now that I have a final film, there's times when I watch it and I'm, I'm like thrilled, especially when I'm in a big audience of people mm-hmm. so I can really kind of see if things hit. And then times when I'm like, oh, I, I can't watch it, you know? And uh, it feels a little cringy because it is so vulnerable or is so mm-hmm. personal. I have a weird relationship with the film. Yeah, well, I mean, you were just talking about our friend's ego. Like, I feel like as actors, like we are going, we go into this business because we have strong egos. <laughs> we want to be liked. We, we're, we care what people think of us and we're vain. Mm-hmm. And yet you have to do something like this that pulls all that stuff away and goes, blech. Yeah. I mean, also writing, directing and acting in it. So how did you negotiate within your own ego for that? It's weird, right? Like the writing part, um, I feel like I had good mentors. So the script went to um, the Screenwriters Lab at Whistler Film Festival, mm-hmm. where I got to work with people who literally like broke it apart, stripped it down, and then I had to build it back up and it was stronger. And I did draft after draft. But when you are in that kind of process, you don't have time 
like I know enough not to put my ego into the writing process. Mm -hmm. You know, you just, you go with your instincts, you write shitty scripts and then you make them better. Like, it's just, you can't be precious about it. And then the directing thing, you know, that felt very, uh, in some ways, very natural. I mean, as actors, right. We've been doing this for so long. There's so much that we just know that we don't take enough pride in knowing, I think, because we think that a director has like some kind of magic power but I'm like "Mm, I I realize actors know so much so even that process wasn't uh like again it it felt just more technical it felt more instinctual uh the acting thing I worked with an acting coach and I I didn't have time because it was so fast and furious and I had so many hats I didn't have time to on set be like indulgent or feel like I was you know had to protect myself in any ways I was more concerned protecting others uh the other the rest of the cast I think the hardest part was editing because that's when Mm -hmm. I had some space and I was not expecting myself to be so affected by what I saw Mm -hmm. but you know, you're, you're seeing it for the first time. You have a, an editor put it together. And my editor was amazing. Bridget Dunford, she, she edits for Bridgerton and some great Mm -hmm. shows, you know, and she did a pass on it. And when I saw it, I was like, Oh my God, this is awful. This is like the worst thing that's ever been made. And then I was so like, I hated, like, why did you, why did you use those close-ups on me? It's awful. Like I was so uh, scared of seeing myself. And then the more I settled in with the footage that we had, eventually we went back to exactly what she had done in the first place because I was ready to finally be like, okay, we do need to stay more on Mona. This is Mona's story. We need to know her as an audience, but it was very hard to detach myself from that. And then even now, like it's a final product. It's like, you know, all my blood and guts on screen and I'm very proud of it. I'm so proud of the cast and the crew Mm -hmm. that's involved, but it's hard to sit there and watch it. Oh my God. You wouldn't be human if you said it was easy peasy. Like, well, two things. A, if you have a director, you sort of turn to the director and the director is going to push you. But if you're the director and you're like, how much do I want to push myself into those kind of vulnerable points? Did you have your acting coach, were they on set with you? They weren't. No, I just worked with them right prior to the the months leading up to shooting. And then watching it as an editor, like, um, I know that you said once that that your character in Funny Boy was easy to love, but Mona's not overly easy to love, but she's also lovable because of her flawedness. Like it's all, it just, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking just to watch it. But I mean, when you said, was there a moment where you watching it that you took out a scene because of the struggle you had and then you put it back after working with your editor? Oh, that's a really good question. I think not scenes entirely, but it was, you know, there's a million ways to tell a story. So, you know, do we use those close-ups? Do we, do we pull back? I, I really wanted to be further away from the characters and, and I have these really great, you know, like wider shots and we use a lot of them, but as the editing process became more refined, it became, you know, from a lot of the feedback that I got from peers of mine and, and other filmmakers, they're like, I want to know more. I want to see Mona more. It's her story. She's driving it. So I want to get close in on her. And so then we, we went back and we really started to move in and getting her perspective. It was very strange. And, and I was not expecting it because Mm -hmm. I watch my auditions all the time. I watch my work all the time, but I wasn't expecting to be so, I don't know if the word is repulsed, but just being like, <laughs> oh, you're so close to my face and you really get, you know, it, it, 
it was just a lot. It was hard. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about vanity and about our ego as artists. And I was watching that going, how would I feel if that was me? But at least you were vulnerable and true. Mm. You know, like if you were vulnerable and false, I think that would be really hard to watch. Like for me, when I see my self tape and I'm like, oh, she's faking it. That's the <laughs> yeah. worst. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like, I mean, I know you trained in theater, like, and whenever I see somebody's performance like yours, that moves me the way your performance does, I'm like, I bet they started in theater. Mm. How do you think theater training infused into your work as a, as a film and TV actor? The thing about theater is that you just learn the basics which I think sometimes when you're in TV and film, it's very easy to like skip over all of that. Mm -hmm. Go with instinct, go like, and that's all well and good, but I really do believe that sometimes you have to know beats and motivation and, you know, like text analysis. And I think that does wonders to a performance so that you have something to fall back on. And so I think that's how it informed me is that I just learned the basics of what to do with a script. Mm -hmm. And you can take that into whether into any kind of medium and it works yeah yeah I I agree with you I think it's like and I think somewhere else in another interview talked about like how hard you work that you're a Capricorn Capricorn I'm not I'm a Pisces oh which I think your husband. husband right <laughs> I know that sounds so stalkerish but I just know that because I was like oh what else has he done and then I was like February 27th anyway so <laughs> it's ridiculous that I have that information in my head but <laughs> Uh, you talk about like working so hard and I think there is so much about that like you know you can't just jump into acting and think I'm just gonna do this again as, as and without having the work beforehand so what was the prep for you because you're prepping not only as a director writer that kind of was done but I'm sure you had notes from your director constantly as a writer oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then as, a, as an actor like tell me about your prep for your movie so prep started early on even before we got funding um, I found my DP, Leonardo Haram, who is, was so committed. And so we just committed to meeting once a week. And even though we didn't know about any kind of funding, and we just had the honest conversation of like, would you still DP my film, even if we're doing this for 20 grand, or if we're doing this for like a million dollars? And he was like, yes, I will. So mm -hmm. with that understanding, we were able to just like dive right in. And, and it was a lot of like watching films and uh, talking about ideas and feelings and how we wanted to like, what we wanted to do visually creating a language. And then once we got the funding, then things became a lot more precise. And then, yeah, it was, it was, I was writing to the end, actually my, so one, our executive producer is Deepa Mehta and she had to tell me, she's like, Agam, you have to take off your writer's hat. You have to like become a director now. You can't keep thinking about plot points and, and, you know, character arcs and stuff. She goes, that is done. Now you have to think about how you're going to tell this visually. So it was a real sort of like, okay, no more rewrites. Like I'm, I'm really going to just dive right in as a director. Um, we did rehearsals. That was really important oh, to me. So lucky. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. Even Kim, I mean, like, he's so busy and he's a big actor, you know. He loved the idea of being able to just, like, talk about the script and, and go over scenes with the rest of the actors. And we all just needed that time. I, I was really concerned that they wouldn't feel like they had a director on set because okay. I was also acting. So I want to make sure that everybody felt like 100% before going on. And of course, they still had questions, but 
we did all the heavy lifting beforehand. Mm -hmm. And then of course, like prior to getting to Regina to shoot this thing, I had worked with Orsi Sabo, who was my acting coach. And that would just put me in a place as well to know the direction that I was going with, with Mona. So that literally Mm -hmm. like on set, I would be able to be like, okay, action, do the scene and feel like I was doing the scene. And somehow this other part of my brain would sort of click on. And I was able to also analyze what somebody else was doing mm-hmm. and be like, once we cut, I was able to be like, that was fantastic. This is what I loved. You know what, Stephen, could you just like do this a little bit or, you know, um, or, or whatever. Yeah. And if I had any doubts, I was able to turn to my DP and be like, what do you think? And, you know, he'd like pull down his mask because we were filming during COVID and he'd give me a big smile. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, awesome. <laughs> um, every so often I would look at playback, but we didn't have a lot of time, you know? So mm-hmm. dailies were really great. Um, but it just became this dance and somehow it worked. I don't know. Like, I feel like in some ways it, it felt like I was built for it. Mm. And I think we we're all built for different things, and so it's it, and by that I just mean that I I like having a few balls in the air because then my editor is not going off trying to like control things and make it perfect. Like you don't mm-hmm. have time. I had done so much prep that I was able to be like, okay, let's try this, let's try this, and mm-hmm. it felt so good in my body to be so exhausted and so like creative in so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And then talking to like Diva Meadow when she says like, take, take off your writer's hat and just wear the director's hat. But really the director's hat is split in two because it's actor director. Yeah. Like you never really took off your director's hat. You couldn't. No, I mean. You wouldn't want to. There were times, yeah, there were times where I would literally would be like, okay, just drop it and be Mona. But every, like, there was always this one part that was able to analyze while I was in it as an and I don't know why that no, works I don't you know might be, you might again. be an avatar. <laughs> we don't know what's going on that's yeah. incredible that you're able to do that but I yeah. think you're right like you were built for it maybe you just I don't know juggling like motherhood like being a plate spinner like maybe there's something that's trained you to be able to see it in two ways but that's uh that's pretty magic I think I think so and I I, I think that's kind of the beauty of of what we do right like there is these magical and the, the more you do it, the longer you're in this industry, you can kind of find processes that work for you that feel mm-hmm. really like, oh, this this feels like magic to me. Mm-hmm. Does that ever happen to you where you're just like, my process has changed over the years and I'm able to like get into it in a different way than I did like, you know, 10 years ago or does that? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think, well, I mean, it happens for me in improv when I become unconscious of my work. Mm-hmm. I crave so much. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, because so improv is so hard. Like for someone like me, I would I would think that that's but you're able to just do it without. But I think thought. it's that magic muscle that you're talking about. Like when you step onto set with your director's slash actor's hat and you are able to do that, like I, like you're you're moving your body. And I understand that movement because I it is a dance. And uh-huh. I think that maybe it's just something that we're made to do. We're lucky that we have that makeup. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, when you talk about process too, like working with a coach I'm working with a coach right now and I find my process changing Mm. and there's part of me that loves it because I love like feeling like you're in theater school again and yeah I love that feeling I love it so much (laughs) I I just want to talk about like I mean I don't want to talk about it I just want to do like and and try and but then there's part of me that goes this is a new process for me and I'm going to have to let go of that old process and that's not like it's like you're blanky 
It's not a good blankie. It's all, you know, it might be a little bit moldy. So I should get yeah, rid of that. Yeah, it's a bit stuck but, sometimes. I know that you've spoken about this before because, you know, you've had a pretty amazing career, but there's been a, a shift for you too, where you're like trucking along and then wait a second, I'm not going to be able to truck along like that anymore. Did you change your process at that point? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I feel like it's changed. Like it kind of just goes like this mm-hmm. you know, throughout mm-hmm. my career. So sometimes you are trucking along and then I feel kind of lazy and I feel kind of stuck and I feel like it's not fun anymore because it yeah. feels like the same old thing. And then something will happen or a job will happen. And it's like, for instance, I did this play uh, maybe four years ago, Bombay Black. Yeah. And it was a really dark play. It's a three-hander and I played a dancer and she was molested by her father for many years when she was younger. And it was really dark. Mm-hmm. I wanted to connect to this character. She felt so different from me. She had life experiences that I'd never had. And I didn't know how to connect to her. And I didn't want to use substitution because my father is gentle and lovely and wonderful, you know, and I didn't know how to, how to do that. And also do it responsibly because I had babies mm-hmm. to go back home to. Yeah. And this weird a magical thing happened where I was in rehearsals, in rehearsals. And then maybe like a week or two before, maybe a week only, I would be backstage and I would be playing with these like imaginary children from Mumbai, which is where the play takes place. And they were like these little kids, you know, very poor. And we would be playing together and stuff like that. And horrible things had happened to them. But with me, it was a safe place. And then as soon as I had to get onto stage, I had to let go of their hands and allow myself to just like be in that world. And I felt like I was channeling something because I was doing it for them. It's a weird thing, but it was almost like my in was from a place of compassion, as opposed to a place that felt very personal. And that place of compassion I was able to get to those places that felt the anger and the shame and all of that stuff because it wasn't me, Agam, it was for these children. And then at the end of it, I would just wipe it away and then go back to my home with my kids and blah, 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 and then come back the next day. But it was a process that had just kind of just arrived and it was a bit of a gift and I'd never done that before. Yeah. And I also think your, your process is your process. Like, it's not like anybody's going to listen to you talk about that work that you did on that play and go wrong. Like you didn't do exactly. that. You know? If that worked and you connected, then I think and we don't realize that when we're like, you know, 20 years old and we're just starting out, we're like, what is, what's the magic here? How do we, yeah. what are we supposed to do? But as you get older, right? Like it's just anything, every project has its own sort of map and its own way. Yeah. How have you maintained that kind of artistic focus? Because I know you spend time in Los Angeles as well. And I don't think it's always easy to hold on to your artistic focus in Los Angeles. How did you how did you keep your drive and your focus going as an artist? I think art, not industry, but the art is like the happiest place ever for me. Like it's the safest place it's the happiest place. So in a way, I almost need it. Like, Mm. I don't know who I would be if I did not have some kind of creative outlet, whatever that is. And I would rather be alone with my art than you know, the group of people. So it's never been a process, like a, a thing for me to like, be like, well, I'm too busy partying <laughs> to like write this thing or whatever. Like, it's right. just, like, yeah, I think the hardest part though is the, the business, the industry, like yeah. that's kind of what can kill it for you. And uh, LA definitely has, but 
it forces you to also like dig deeper and really ask yourself those questions. Why are you doing this? Like, what is it that you really want? I know at the darkest points for me, when I'm like not getting any jobs and when I'm like, why am I here? Like, what am I doing in this city? You need to just dig deeper Mm -hmm. and you will get out the other side if you want it bad enough, I think. Yeah. Do you remember a time in your career where you felt like where the balance was off between art and industry? Oh, yeah. For many years, I think. It's funny because I came from theater school. I never had a desire to be in TV and film. In fact, I my very first TV film class I ever took, I was just like, this is stupid. Like, I, I just really felt like the beauty is in theater. Mm-hmm. But then I got into it and I got an agent and I started booking work. And at first it was all play. Like, I just didn't really have like big lofty dreams of, of being on TV and film, but it was happening. I was making good money. Mm-hmm. And then... After a while, like the dreams and desires of the business and the agents and the managers became mine. And then all of a sudden it was like, I have to book that US show. I have to like, you know, and it was like that for many years. And in some ways I'm still kind of undoing that because it's actually not at all about that. And I've wanted to quit many, many times. Mm-hmm. I think now this is actually like since having my children, strangely enough, because I was so afraid of what motherhood could do to my artistic life. I've really pushed myself to be more creative and to do plays and to write more things mm-hmm. and create more. I'm mo- the most artistically fulfilled than I've ever been. And, and writing and directing has really just given me, like, it's just so nice to lean on that, you know, to mm-hmm. not feel like I have to book that next job, to not feel like, my voice is only going to be the voice of somebody else's writing. It's like, I have my own stories to tell. So it feels very uh, full and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of strength there for me. I love that. I found the same thing. I lived in Los Angeles for five years and we're sort of, I think we did the same as you where we came back because of COVID and my pop wasn't well. And now it's like, I don't know if I can dive back into that hustle. Like I've kind of reunited with my artist and I'm like, well, I'm having quite a nice reunion here. Yeah. Well, we're living in a world where you don't have to, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And also like, don't you, I don't know if you're in Vancouver, Los Angeles right now, but you're in a different city, not just Canada, but if you're lacking, you can infuse where I don't, I didn't find a lot of theater in Los Angeles that I could infuse into filling up my art tank again. So we are back in LA and we just got back after two years of being in Canada. So like literally this is, weeks in and we're not in LA proper we're like a little bit outside where there's trees and Mm -hmm. mountains and I'm just like this is feeding me in a way that I never thought LA could because I've always had such a polarizing experience with the city and it's always been so much based on the industry but now Mm -hmm. because there's so many self-tapes and you're not going out as much it's so possible to be here and yet not here and I feel like for the first time after literally a decade of being in and out of the city, I'm like, oh, I, I can see how this can feel really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I understand that, too. It's sort of what you what you bring with you as well. Mm-hmm. So looking at I don't want to just focus on Donkey Head because I know you've got so many other projects that you've experienced, but because it was your first show that you directed, do you feel like this was a story that you've been waiting to tell? Yeah, because I I started writing it like a long time ago and mm-hmm. I just wanted to write something that felt mainstream, that mm-hmm. felt like the kind of thing I love to watch, but had people that felt familiar. Mm-hmm. And so 
And I feel like it's about time, you know, where Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily about showing South Asians as guests in a country, but like as very much a part of the fabric of the country. Yeah. And so it it is something that I've wanted to talk about and and to tell a story. Yeah. Well, when did you know that it was your job to have a voice like this? Because, you know, like it's such a beautiful story for so many ways. Like the story itself is lovely. It touches my heart. But then also the infusion of seeing this family that we don't normally see dealing with something like this with customs that we don't normally see is so beautiful. And as you said, like, this is part of our world. Why are we not seeing this more? Did you feel like this was an obligation to have this voice? Or like, do you remember that moment where you went, oh, I, I need to step up and get louder? Um, I think it's always been kind of part of my nature because like years ago, um, I started a film festival that, you know, and and that was also about bridging that gap. And it's always been about like my acting work has always been about that as well. It's just like, we need to see more color on screen. Mm -hmm. So I think that was always a part of it, but I think specifically with the story, for many of the rewrites, I was very hesitant to really show how much of the culture is in this family, mm-hmm. um, aside from the obvious things like the turban and stuff like that. And then in the process of making it, I realized that there was a lot more in here than even I knew. And you know, just being able to hear the prayer in the background when they're in different mm-hmm. rooms, it's always present. And then as a result, like, how does, what does that look like? What does the prayer look like? And how much response, like, I had to do it properly. I had to do it with a lot of, even though I had things to say about the culture and I have, you know, I, I, I do take issue with some of the things in the culture. Uh, I find that the, the spiritual aspects of Sikhism is like so profound and beautiful that I really wanted to respect it. And so it was really important for me to do it properly and, and to do it justice. And so it was kind of a, an unfolding for me until I realized I was like, wow, I really like, I have a lot of respect and love for this spiritual practice and, and for this, um, for this culture. Yeah. I don't think you could have like, when you just mentioned like the prayer in the background, like, I feel like if you painted that picture of that scene, you'd be like, there's something missing. Do you know, like you yeah. you need need that extra, I don't know, fine brush of art. Yeah, and I also like growing up, like when you go to someone's house and they're having an akanpat, a, a prayer like this, you hear it everywhere. You know, people are having conversations and these siloed moments and stuff, but you're always like present of the fact that there is something else happening, and it's very important, even though you know you might be having an argument in the midst of it, or you know. Yeah, I mean, my, my equivalent would be something like a family, like I'm Lithuanian, so like the smell of cabbage rolls, you would need to know that there's a smell of cabbage rolls that's probably constant in my household. Right, so, exactly, yeah. yeah. Like the but food, I, the way the way all of that, it has like such an emotional, like, like it just triggers something emotionally, right? Yeah, yeah. Did anything surprise you on set? Like you'd planned so much and I, I can see that you're, you're somebody that does your homework and you prep as much as you can. <laughs> <laughs> you can say it. You can say I mean, it. I'm not saying anything. I mean, gosh, you know what? I'm I am not that. I mean, you can tell me if that's a Piscean thing or not, but I'm the person that goes, I think I'm set up. And then I know like 
20% prep, 80% fly by the seat and improvise. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just a Pisces thing or that's just sneakers. I love it. Did, did anything surprise you on set that you kind of didn't expect happen? Um, I was open to anything wrong happening. Um, <laughs> Were you? I was because like <laughs> everything does go wrong, right? Yeah. When you're making a film, like it's just like you just can't go in there cocky. And I think I was very aware not to go in there cocky. Where did you learn that things will go wrong as opposed to things will be perfect? I, I just find that in our industry, as soon as you think you got to figure it out, as soon as you think that, oh yeah, this film's totally going to get into like this festival or I'm totally getting, I feel like it's just, it doesn't. Yeah. So you just have to be like, well, I don't know. I think every film is different. And so the challenges and the wins that I have with this one may knock me on my ass on the next one, mm -hmm. but I did feel, and I, I, I feel, I feel kind of guilty saying this actually out loud was like, it's kind of like when I had, I have twins. And so when people are like, oh, you have twins, that's so hard. There is a part of me that's like, like, it's definitely not a walk in the park, <laughs> but it's like, it's not that bad. Like it's, <laughs> you know, it's like you have moments where it's just like, oh, it definitely feels like I have twins today. But you also have moments where it's like, well, this is kind of awesome. And I felt that way with this film. It was like, wow, that must have been so hard. And it's like, you know, it's a lot of work, but it wasn't that bad. And it was doable. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's what surprised me was that I was really expecting that it was going to just like kill me. And it was going to be the hardest thing, but it wasn't. Mm. Yeah. The twins thing. Maybe that's why you had that magic dance on set when you were able to act and direct <laughs> in one. Maybe you're I think it is. twin mom. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. Because people talk to you. It was really funny. Like there were times when people would talk to me and I would have four people talking to me at once. And I'd just be able to be like, just give me a second. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if other parents feel that way yeah. or, or not. I don't know. Like, I, and, and like I said, the next film, I'm sure there's going to be something that's going to stir me up because I just sure. really feel like the more confident you get in some respects, there's always something that's like, mm, bet you didn't think of this. Right. I mean, that's the lesson I'm learning every day. Like, I got this all figured out. Oh boy, <laughs> do you not. Do you have anything in your brain that you're like, next film, I'm definitely going to do this or next film, I'm definitely not going to do this? I mean, I saw how difficult it is to, and experience how difficult it is to film in the winter. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Every time you're outside, I was like, oh God, another outdoor scene. You're so bold. It was, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's really hard. And those crews work so hard. Yeah. So I'm just a lot more conscious of what that means. I'm more conscious of car scenes, you know, like if it, if you need them, you need them, you know, but, but just, I know now what that means to set mm -hmm. something like that up. And I, I love collaborating with people. And when you're making your first film, you're with all these brand new people. And so everybody's learning each other. And so just being able to take all of that information so that the next one, you want to work with the same people. And it's like, okay, great. So we know what we, how we work together. How can we improve this? How can we just like, you know, maybe add one extra person in this position, or maybe we like, you know, for me, like, it's really important to have more days. I really fought for, um, we had 19 shooting days with a full crew and then three extra shooting days with a skeleton crew. 
And I, I would do that again. Like, I just think that it's so like producers love to take away your days and ADs do as well. And obviously because it's so expensive, but I would rather have a smaller crew, less equipment, all of that stuff and just more days so that you can really, cause it's about, it's about the magic that can happen between the characters really, especially the films that I want to watch and that I want to tell. So I think it just, you need that time. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I just love everything you say. I feel like I'm in like a great, masterclass right now. It's so great hearing you speak about these things because were you always thinking you would be a creator? I think I always knew it. I think I, yeah, but it was also very subconscious. Like I didn't know, I wasn't expecting to direct this film. You know, it just was something that happened. I was actually looking for a director and I quickly realized this is so personal to me that it was really hard to just like hand it over and so I think that would have been really hard. Right? It would have yeah. been really hard. Yeah. And then you would have been battling, like going, I should have just directed. Yeah. And I'm really glad that I did, but it's, yeah. <laughs> but when you were in art school and then theater school and things like that, were you in your brain going, I'm, I want to be an actor? Or were you also thinking, I have to tell stories. I have to write. I have to create. So I have a degree in, in visual arts and photography. Mm-hmm. And there was this moment when I chose photography at the back of my head, I was like, that'll lend itself really well to directing. I didn't know what that meant, you know, Mm -hmm. but I just knew that that's like, like if I had to be practical in the arts, (laughs) I'm like, photography is a good jumping off point. Um, And I did theater just because I liked acting, but I never thought I would do anything with it. Yeah. And then over the years, you know, I wrote and and made short films and, but I, I always knew, like my dad, he's funny. He was an engineer, but he always told me, he's like, you know, Agam, if you're in this, this like world, just keep writing because that's Mm -hmm. like, like the power of telling a story is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's just like stayed with me. How did your dad know that? Um, I think he read it somewhere. (laughs) 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 He likes to read his quotes from movies and (laughs) famous people. And then he tells, he he says that there is. Oh my gosh. (laughs) My father was always quoting like, did you know Leonardo DiCaprio said this? I was like, really? yeah, okay, that's yeah, well, he's got an amazing career. He has something to say. Well, see, my dad would be like, do you know what I say? Even Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> would take it. Whoever wrote. <laughs> Did you imagine this is where you'd be like your earlier credits of things like Snakes in the Plane or like you, you booked like a series quickly, like when you first started, like you got an agent and they were like uh, Renegade Press looks like an early credit so was that like oh I've made it I'm off to the races and then you discovered where you went or did you always have this trajectory oh no like I had a teacher back in Calgary who was like hey you're moving to Vancouver why don't you get an agent and there was an industry there and I was like great I could maybe just like book some commercials and make some extra money like that's the extent of it I thought acting for me would just be like theater. Like that's on the side while I was doing photography. That, that was what I wanted to do. But I did start booking work early on. And then it just kind of went from there. Like I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just like having fun. And But you said that before too. You're like, I realized it was fun. And I feel like that's such a great tell. Like if you're having a good time, then I think it's, it's a good, if it's struggling, if you're like, if your brow is furrowed, maybe this isn't the right path. 
Yeah, it's weird, right? Because I've definitely been like this, this path hasn't been fun all the time. Like it's been fun for the first little bit. And then it was like, oh, wait, now I get what I'm getting myself into. I'm with you. It's a weird thing, right? Like, do you keep going when it's hard, when you are like furring your brow and you're like pushing through or are you just supposed to go where there is flow? Yeah. What do you think? All right, then. (laughs) It's not my podcast, but I'll take it. Uh, I mean, I think I know in my gut, like the things that are tough that are still fun. Mm -hmm. So if I'm like in, in class and I'm like, oh, this is a hard class. I know in my gut that that means things are shifting or I'm learning something so I can, I like sticking with it. The stuff that I don't find fun is like, I don't know, like the hustle stuff Mm -hmm. that I'm like, that just means I should turn towards my art more. Mm. I think. Okay, I think now what, right, yeah. what do you think? You can't say ditto. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I'm a Capricorn, right? So I'm going to kind of push through the hard right. stuff, but I think I need to learn when to just like sit back and be like, you know what? I'm not, I'm going to make it easy on myself. Mm-hmm. That's actually been something that I've had to make a point at being like, I don't have to go down this road because it's hard. Yeah. You know, I don't have to prove anything. I'm just like going to sit back and try to do something that's a little more fun and easy. Yeah. I think for, for me, that's really important. I get that. I get that. Can you give me, um, I, I know I'm going to have to wrap it up and nobody likes hearing those words, but I have to, but I want to hear like a little snapshot. Like if you were to sum up working with Deepa Meta, what would you say? I know. Right. Like what a, what a treat, what a magical dream but what was that experience like in a couple of sentences not that that's possible scary inspiring and profound because we've developed such a beautiful relationship after that like she's been a real supporter and she's a really good person what was scary about it she pushes Mm -hmm. people and she's blunt you know and she says the hard things which you don't like to hear. Nobody likes to hear that. And she expects a lot and she expects discipline and she expects respect. There is sort of like a code of conduct when you're working with her that you do have to adhere to, but it's worth it. Like that's how, that's how she operates. And it's, it really works on her sets. And then beyond that, it's just been, like, I, I feel like, I don't know, you can't really like bullshit her, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is frightening, right? To be around somebody that can kind of see oh, through yeah. that stuff. Yeah. I so. feel like you've got a bit of that though. I feel like, mm-hmm. yeah, like I just see how you're, you're such a composed person. I feel like, yeah, I just feel like you've got a little bit of that instinct too. Oh, that's really nice to hear. Wow. Yeah. I but maybe I you're just really good at bullshitting. <laughs> so great at it. <laughs> what was the biggest lesson you learned from working with her then? So you know what? It's it's kind of twofold. So I worked with her and then, and then like four months later I worked with Ava DuBernay. What a book ending dream. It's some it's sometimes wild the way the universe works, right? Mm-hmm. But I do feel like it was kind of a setup for me to see two females of color as directors right before I went off to make mine yeah oh that gave me chills I love that so much yeah Yeah. like they're both very different but they're also very similar like they they both command 
the stage. They both are um, certain in their voices. And yet at the same time, also very, like there's a sort of like a depth and a warmth and a protectiveness that they have to their actors. And I, I went a good, like, I don't know, 15 years, maybe having one female director in my entire career. Me too. And in the, you too, right? I think I had two and, and both were white. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the last five years, it's been a lot more female directors and it's, mm-hmm. it's been really interesting. Thing that I found from Deepa and, and from uh, Ava is that I just feel like they had, they had to step up more. There was more asked of them. They had to be really nice and uh, really charming because people had to like them, but they also had to be really firm. They had to know, uh, like I know with Ava, like she knew everything about everything. She was really smart and really like, you know, because there was so much respect that she had to command from so many different places in order to do the thing that she's doing. And I've never seen a male director having to do that. Male director specifically, Mm -hmm. like they can just do their one thing really well. And that was enough. But I do find that there's just more asked of women. Right. So then what do you think from working with those two amazing people? Holy moly. Did you see anything as a director on set that you're like, I'm pulling a deeper meta on this one? Oh, she rehearses before her films all the time. And that was really important to me because like as a theater person, right? Like there is magic in rehearsals. Producers don't get it because they're like, that's not leading to anything, but it's like there it is. It's leading to the fact that this family feels like a family now because we have that time together. Like the chemistry of your siblings. I mean, gosh, we talked about Donkey Head this whole time, but I don't care because it's such a good movie. I want everybody to see it. But like this chemistry and the chemistry with you and Kim, everything, like having a rehearsal, I think was really beneficial. Yeah. She, so Deepa has a three-day rehearsal, which I really wanted, but we couldn't afford it. So even just having time together. So that, that was a big thing. And Ava is really charming. And I don't mean that in a, in a like manipulative way, but she just has a way with people that is, and that's not necessarily my way. Like I don't have that same ability. I don't think to connect with people in that way, but just knowing that like, I, I don't know for better, or for worse, it's just, it's really helpful to be likable. So then you're like going back and forth going, all right, I'm likable Agam now. And now I'm not likable Mona. Like you're, I, I'm really in awe. I don't, I don't mean to like fangirl on you, but I just like the fact that you were able to not just write an amazing script, but then direct and act with such depth really is extraordinary. Thank you. Yeah, I mean it. What a great universe gift to be given those two mentors on the way into your first directing gig yeah isn't that weird yeah yeah I'd never like when you just said that I'm like oh man I didn't even put that together but that's really extraordinary yeah yeah it, I think about that because I also ended up like soon after that actually uh I ended up having lunch with Amanda Tapping and she's a full-on director now. And when I knew her, she was she was acting on Sanctuary. And so it's just so funny. Like, mm-hmm. I really took note. I'm like, huh, that's very, like, me and Amanda don't necessarily have lunch all the time, but just to be able to, like, sit with her and talk to her. And then, you know, at the same time, like, I and literally, this was in Atlanta, actually. So I was, like, having lunch with Amanda. I was working on set with Ava. And then, like, a week prior, I had just seen Deepa like within the span of literally a week with these three women and it filled me up. I was like, huh, this is really interesting to me. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up. And we do a table turning. If you have a question, I'll take it. 
Okay, I have two questions. Like one is I love process. So I'm super curious about your process as an actor. Are you a writer as well? I do. I mean, I write, but I write begrudgingly. Like I write through like improv or I'll write through collaboration, but I'm not, I'm not a person that'll go and fade in. Like it really, that doesn't work with my body. Are you, um, do you have children? I don't. That's it. Two questions. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Is your husband in in the industry? He is. Yeah. Yeah. We're both from like second city world. And you guys work together. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. So I want to know about your process (laughs) as an, as an actor, how it's evolved. And then I also want to know a really good recipe. Okay. First of all, shakshuka, best recipe ever. Oh, have you ever had it? It's like a Middle Eastern. I think I have tomato sauce with whatever spices you like whether it's like basil and stuff or whether it's cumin and then crack an egg in there and mm. cook the egg in the tomato sauce I'm gonna send it to you please okay, okay. and then process I don't you know I think my process is changing I think my process used to be like what's the funny like I would kind of mm. look for and you know sometimes you get scripts that are funny accessible and funny available and sometimes like I'm gonna have to infuse some funny in here so I think that's that used to be my process. And now I think it's more like connecting to how it connects to me. I mm-hmm. think that's where I'm at now. It's not so much like distancing myself from my characters and then finding a way that this character is me. So do you find that there's still the funny when you do that? Or does it take a different tone? This is interesting we're having this discussion because I don't think I practiced the process as much as I'm in class with it. Like it used to be like, oh, I got jokes. I know how to be funny, but this is a little bit more grounded, I think. And when you find the fun, like previous, your previous process of where is the funny, what always works for you? Is there something that you're just like, you're like, what is that? Do you have a hook that you're just like, I can guarantee this? I mean, I can always guarantee that I'm awkward. I can always <laughs> guarantee that there's some good comedy and awkwardness. So yeah, your like- funny comes from character. As opposed to like text? Mm, yeah, text or like plot points or whatever. No, I think it's situational. Gosh, mm-hmm. I think there's so many different ways that you could look at it, but I think it's situational. Like if there's something going on, I'll be like, if I'm doing a self-tape, like what's the next beat that might be the funny that they haven't written yet? Mm. Or, that, or that I'm not in that, but I'll, I'll sort of sit in that moment. So does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think it's improv, right? You're sort of given like a place or you're giving your character and then you're just living in that. And often... I think it's in the truth of, of what that moment is, I think, as opposed to, yeah, the character truth or the situational truth. All right, let's do um, the wrap up questions. I'm going to just choose a couple because this has been such, I just love, I could talk to you all day. Uh, okay, a fill in the blank. To me, a firecracker is. A bursty soul. Is that you weird? You just did improv. Yeah, you just did improv. It was beautiful. What's something that people don't know about you? Uh, I've been vegetarian my whole life. Okay. What makes you feel powerful? Um, my art. Yeah. I was going to talk to you about bravery at some point because I feel like there's so much bravery in your work. But what do you think bravery is? It's having fear, but still doing it. What's been the best advice you've ever gotten or the worst advice? And my dad's advice of like, just keep writing has been the best. Mm. And you know, that was actually Leonardo DiCaprio with the game. I think um, my dad's words were the pen is stronger than the the sword, but I'm yeah. is, isn't that Shakespeare? Or <laughs> no, 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 that's your dad for sure. Dad. I, I, I've never heard that before. <laughs> Who's a firecracker in your world that you can shine a light on? 
Oh my gosh. We've got so many and we have done such a great celebration. I'm, I love like hearing names out loud so that people can listen to this and be like, oh, I got to find out more about those folks. So do you have anybody else? That you want? <laughs> Taj Mateo and Forrest Reedinger. <laughs> They're my kids. <laughs> I love it. They're fire. They're fire. It's like life force, you know, like yeah. it's just... I mean, meeting you does not surprise me. (laughs) What about advice? Advice you would have given to a younger Agam? The sooner you can trust yourself, the better. Like eliminate the words, I don't know, which is actually something that I'm doing right now. I'm trying to eliminate the words. Mm. I don't know. I don't know how to, you know, I would tell her just stop saying those words. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that the thing? I love that we always have like the thing that we're practicing. I would have I got on my chalkboard right now. I've, I think it says bravery and don't be a wiener. That's what it says on my <laughs> which is bravery. <laughs> which means oh, stepping into your bravery. Right? I love don't that. Be, don't make excuses. Don't pretend you don't love your craft and you want to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Don't be a wiener. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, t-shirts are getting made next week. I'll send you one. Please. <laughs> oh. I could talk to you forever. I've so enjoyed meeting you and you um, oh, my just my heart's full and I hope we'll be able to connect in some other form craft wise, art wise, life wise. I would really love that. Yeah, this yeah. has been a real pleasure. I've done so many interviews and it's so nice to have a conversation and like just really kind of get deep on things. Yeah, so me too. Oh, it's been a real treat. <laughs> I really mean it. It really has. I feel really like I just I feel like I had a good acting class. So thank you for oh, this cool. chat. All right. You be well. Take Thank care you. You too. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right. Do you see what I mean about Ugum? Like just this magical, beautiful energy. You know, Winnie Wong, who produces the podcast, she's always present for these interviews, but she turns off her Zoom. And then afterwards, we just both look at each other and go, oh my gosh, that was just amazing. And then after Ugum's chat, we were both like looking at each other going, This is incredible that we get to share these stories with each other, with these artists, and then with you. Yeah, I guess the bottom line of the whole thing is just, you know, we like our job. Right, Winnie? I'm sure if Winnie's listening to this, she's got like her thumb up. That's Winnie Wong. Thumbs up. All right, for the latest updates with Ugum, follow her on Twitter at Darshi Ugum, D-A-R-S-H-I-A-G-A-M, or on Instagram at Ugum Darshi. Or go to her website, ugamdarshi.com. And of course, we got all these links for you in our show notes. Our firecrackers in the US, the UK, Australia, and New Zealand can already see Donkey Head on Netflix. For everyone in Canada, it opens theatrically this Friday, March 11th, 2022, in Regina, Saskatoon, Toronto, and additional cities coming soon. For the latest updates, follow at DonkeyHeadTheFilm. Head over to visaff.ca for all the Vancouver International South Asian Film Festival news. And if you felt some Ugga magic, because I know you did, do you have some creative processes like Uggum does? I would love to hear about it. I'd love to hear not only what resonates with you, but I would love to hear about your process. Like what's something that you always do when you start being creative? Is it pouring a nice cup of coffee? Is it setting your workspace? Is it going for a jog? 
What makes you jump into some creative action? Drop me a line on our platforms at firecrackerdept or, you know, leave us a review on our Apple podcast. We'll take that too. I'll even take an email from you. I really will. Firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com. I would just love to hear about your processes and something that you must do before you start taking creative action. Now, to see what we have going on, visit our website at firecrackerdepartment.com. And while you're there, if you haven't already, subscribe to our now bi-monthly newsletter to get the inside track on everything that's going on in the Firecracker Department. Don't worry. We don't inundate you with too big a newsletter, and we always put in the subject matter what the newsletter is about so then you can open it if you want. There's something for everybody in the Firecracker Department, like our weekly bursts, our mentorship workshops, monthly wellness mini moments, script readings, the monthly blog post, podcast guests. I mean, come on, join us, we got a brunch. Come on over on our Sundays for brunch, we'd love to have you. And honestly, our Firecracker Department gets better because you're here, truly, truly, truly. We have all these events and all the information that you need all on our handy dandy event calendar on our website. Big thanks to Pal and Alyssa for making that happen. And you can check all the information out there. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Naomi and I look forward to connecting with you next time on the Firecrack Department. Go on out there, get some creative action going and then let me know how it goes. Bye for now. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. This episode is edited by Shane Stoltz. You can follow them at Shane Stoltz, all one word, and Shane with a Y. This intro was written by the one and only wonderful Winnie Wong. That's right, she's a triple W. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you, yeah, you, sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time.